So I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. We've got a couple of sites. There's one on 6th and Columbia called The Warehouse, and then two services here at 9 and 1030. And between the two services, I got an email from somebody who had been to the first service. And this was the line. I've been here for seven years, and that's the third time I've heard that sermon. <laughs> the worst part of it is, I thought I wrote it this week. So I did all that work, and it's the third time I've preached it. Anyway, it's going to be a great morning for you, clearly. So college students are back on campus. The textbooks have been flung wide open. The library is jam-packed morning to evening. They have to kick them out of the library. They're so studious. Some of the best and the brightest minds in the history of the universe right on this campus. I took some video this week of them doing their diligent, hard, studious work. (laughs) The best part is I'm in the middle. So I've asked some friends to help me, Tetiana and Kesnell, come on, join me this way. Tetiana is a sophomore at Hope. She is a poli-sci econ major from Ukraine. She will not see her family again for three years? Three years. So I was thinking maybe like, We could be a family for her in our way. This is my friend Kesnell. Kesnell's a freshman at Hope. He's been here for three weeks from Haiti. His heart of kindness is so large, it makes Lake Michigan look like a little puddle. (laughs) And his story is so profound, I think you should take him out for lunch or coffee just to hear it. You should do the same with Tetiana. We're going to be for them the church. Sound good? I asked them if they would read for me, for us, from a philosopher named Jamie Smith from Calvin University. (laughs) Just perfect. Uh, In a book titled How to Inhabit Time, uh, first, Tetiana. The miracle that should astound us is that the God of grace can redeem even me. It's the body with scars that is resurrected. It's the me with a history that is redeemed, forgiven, graced, liberated. Isn't that powerful? It's the body with scars that's resurrected. Now, Kessnell is going to read from the same book, same philosopher, different part of the book. To live eschatologically is not just a matter of looking toward the future. It is not simply a posture or of expectation. It is to live futurely, to inhabit the present in such a way that the future is the beating heart of mine now. Did you catch that? To live in such a way that the, the future is the beating heart of my now. Isn't that great? Can we thank these two? Please. Awesome. Way to go. Good job. I take that. Thanks, my friend. They are acting for us like a compass today, pointing us north for the journey we're about to embark on. 
Uh, So this is the second of a three-week set of a collection of sermons we're calling All Things New, in part to remember the reestablishment of Pillar about 11 years ago and the new God has been up to among us. But really more than that, more than looking back, it's actually looking ahead to the new God still wants to do. It's not something that happened 11 years ago on a September day, but it's something God's Spirit wants to do still, wants to do now, wants to do it with you. Uh, Isaiah said at first, you might remember this, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Jesus wouldn't let Isaiah alone, so he picked it up with his life and fulfilled it with his death and resurrection, ascends into heaven and shouts over the shoulders of time into our history, see, I'm making all things new. That's the heart of the gospel. That's God's heart for you, to make you new, brand spanking new. Whatever past you can't change and hurt that haunts doesn't get to define your forever future. You can be new in Jesus Christ. I was walking to church this morning. I can't remember what time it was. It was before the services. Uh, Through Centennial Park, Uh, there's a man sitting on a park bench smoking a cigarette, his bike leaning up against the lamp post, his bag full of clothes laying on the ground next to him. I thought to myself, what's it take to smoke a cigarette at 7 a.m.? Guessing he needs something new. I got a text from my buddy yesterday. He told me he couldn't be here today. His mom was in an accident, had to drive up to GR this morning to walk those winding halls of the hospital there with the fear and the worry that comes when the one you love is hurt, thinking he needs something new. Or the college student on campus hoping to experience life in all of its fullness, but already this weekend has had some experiences she'd rather not talk about and hope don't happen again. Guessing she needs something new. Anybody here in need of something new? Jesus announces into your life, see, I am making all things new. So listen with me to the way St. John tries to describe the new that God intends to do in you with us for the world. This is from the book of Revelation. I, John, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet say, write this in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stones. Stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face shone like the sun at full force. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He reached out his hand and said to me, Do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but now I am alive, and I live forever and ever, and I have the keys to death and to Hades. Write this, what is and what is to take place after this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain, no more, for the first things have passed away. Then I heard the voice from the throne say, See, I'm making all things new. He said, Write this. These words are trustworthy and true. He said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the springs of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Revelation 1, 9 through 19, and then picking up again, Revelation 21, 1 through 7, if you want to find it in a Bible near you. That's God's heart, to do the new in you, with us, for the world. That's what God's going to do. God's going to pick up the broken pieces of our lives, put them back together, and offer it as something beautiful. That's what God does. The new God wants to do, if you're tracking with me now, if you're taking notes, this would be the time to start writing things, uh, involves the church, includes your pain, and might just maybe possibly break in here and break in now. Does that sound like a good sermon? That didn't sound very convincing. (laughs) This is the third time in seven years I've preached it, apparently, so... Uh, The new God wants to do involves the church. What comes to mind when you hear the word church? I mean, for me, it's like a cozy word, you know? I grew up in the church. The, the, The church gym was my playground. There was grape juice in the fridge of the church kitchen that I would drink endlessly. I would realize one day that wasn't meant for me. Uh... The dining or the fellowship hall was like our dining room. The pews were like our living room couch, only not as comfortable. Uh, the people were like family for me. Church, it's, it's cozy, it's comfortable, it feels like home. Uh, guessing that's not everybody's case. Uh, if it were everybody's case, we wouldn't have become familiar with phrases like church hurt. Anybody heard of church hurt? If it were the case... Friends, like my friend Chuck, wouldn't have to write books titled When Narcissism Comes to Church. If, if, if the church were cozy for everybody, we wouldn't be constantly confronting the challenge of the hypocrisy of the church. Anybody heard that? It's cozy for some of us. It's a trigger for others. Despite the fact that throughout the history of, well, at least the last 2,000 years, the church has arguably, arguably been the single greatest force of good history has ever seen, we're still now know, known more for the moral failings of our leaders and the complacencies of our congregants. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
So what am I doing on September 3, Labor Day weekend, talking about the new God wants to do involves the church? Shouldn't we just set it aside, skip it, pass over it, do it on our own? Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to take my cues from from St. John who caught a vision of what will be one day. He said, I, John, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet say, write this and send it to the church. The new God wants to do involves the church, not some back hall meeting on a Monday night, but the church as it exists in you. You're the church. So all the critiquing we want to do about the institutional church, and there's plenty to critique, don't dismiss the reality. You're the church. So what if it started with you? What if the new God intends to do involves you out in the world, pursuing forgiveness rather than harboring bitterness, getting after the work of reconciliation rather than participating in the predictable scripts of division? Aren't they boring? What what, what if it started with you when you give water to the thirsty and food to the hungry and clothing to the naked? What if it started with you when you welcome the stranger and visit the sick? What if it started with you? Us. Because God intends, the new God intends to do involves the church. Despite our shortcomings and our unbecomings, our failures and our hypocrisies, God isn't done with the church. I thought that was a pretty good point in the sermon. The new God wants to do involves the church. And it includes your pain. We kind of like to sidestep pain, rather not experience it. And when we do, because we're polite people, we don't really want to talk about it. Just keep it to ourselves. Maybe they won't know. Hey, I know, I'll get dressed up on Sunday. Then they'll never know. Or we tend to wallow in it, sort of sit in it. Neither are the preferred options. What if God wants to take the ache and redeem it and offer it back as something good? There's that line in in Revelation 21. I'm sure you heard it. See, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this. These words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It is done. Where else in the Bible have you heard that very phrase? Christ on the cross, his lungs filling with fluid as they kill him, breathes out those same words. It's done. Christ taking on the ache, taking on the agony, taking on the pain, taking it on himself, taking it with him to the cross where he brought it down to the grave. Only he rose up in resurrection to redeem our pain, not erase our pain. Not so that we would ignore the sadness, but rather that we trust God will do a new thing in the midst of the sadness. Your pain doesn't get the last word. Your sadness doesn't have the last laugh. What Christ inaugurated on the cross when he shouted, it's done, he fulfills in himself, as announced in Revelation, it's done. This is why I wanted Tatiana to read for you. Remember that phrase? It's the body with scars that's resurrected. Isn't it true 
I, mean, I think it's true, just experientially. You want your pain to be seen and known and honored. You know what I mean? Like you've heard, uh, as an example, you've heard of people talk about, uh, like, I'm blind to race or I'm blind to color. That's not helpful. Because to, to act like you're blind, you don't see their story. It, similarly, if you don't see my pain, if you don't know my ache, if you're blind to it, can you really know me? Some of the ways we minimize another person's pain, you, you, you know, you've probably heard this, you've experienced this yourself. You'll share your story of pain or sadness if you have the vulnerability to do it, and then someone will say, I know exactly what you mean. And it has this minimizing effect, doesn't it? How can you know exactly? We want our pain honored. God, in, in, in this way, God honors our pain, not leaving us in it, but redeeming us from it. Yes, it is done. What's the cross doing in glory? If not a promise of the redemption of your own sadness, sickness, hurt, heartache, and pain. You know what I mean? The new God wants to do in you, with us, for the world, involves the church, includes your pain, and might just maybe possibly break in here, break in now, break in today. This new thing is not something we wait for, but rather breaks in, shows up, is among us. It's been God's heart from the beginning. Not, it's not like Uncle Joe's just fishing, you know, in his favorite hole, and Gertie's playing cards with her favorite nieces as if that's the image of glory. It breaks in here. It breaks in now, today, among us. So there's that line in Revelation 21. Those who conquer will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my children. Which is actually, it's like St. John stole another part of the Bible and plagiarized, any professors here? Plagiarizes Genesis in the book of Revelation. You know what I'm talking about? God makes the world and says, it's good, it's so good, it's so beautiful, I love it, but something bad happens, something sad happens, we call it the fall, and the world is sent spiraling into chaos, the chaos we know now, but God won't leave us spiraling, so he shows up, remember he shows up to Abram, and what does he say to Abram? I'll be your God, and you'll be my children. And here we are again, I'll be your God, and you'll be my children. This new thing God intends to do is not just some future reality, but breaks in here, God's been doing it all along. Do you have eyes to see? Is your heart open enough to experience the new God intends to do? It breaks in. So Luis over here, probably my favorite congregant. I'm just going to be honest. Because <laughs> while you all sit silently, he's urging me on. Did I t have I told you the story of one time I preached a sermon, and after the service, oh, pastor, and then like nobody was moving. And after the service, pastor, pastor, such a great sermon. You could hear a pin drop. I was like, wait, what? That, that. i got to reframe my metrics. Anyway, Luis and I were in a conversation. This was earlier this week. We were talking about Jesus. Seemed like a good thing to do on a Wednesday. Uh, about uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And I mentioned the day between Holy Saturday. Remember this conversation? And he said to me, oh, in Spanish, we call it Sabado de Gloria. Any Spanish students here? Glorious Saturday. 
Sabado de Gloria. Between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, Sabado de Gloria. Between the ache of Good Friday and the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, Sabado de Gloria. Between the agony of the moment and the glory of what will be, Sabado de Gloria. What if Sabado de Gloria is not just one day from 2,000 years ago, but a reality we live now, Sabado de Gloria, glorious Saturday, the day that Christ goes down to defeat death, to offer you life here now. I'm making all things new. Yes, amen. Amen. You're the only one. <laughs> I just don't get it. So I've got a friend, Kate. Uh, I asked if she'd be willing to share her story. She's got a unique story. She's got a profound story. Uh, the details of her story don't have to be the details of your story. Her circumstance isn't your circumstance. But it is a story of God uh, breaking in, God showing up. Sometimes God does it in these dramatic ways. Kate's got that story. Sometimes it's subtle and slow and quiet, but still it's unfolding in the world. Uh, she was a part of Alpha. Jenna mentioned it a bit ago. Uh, starts up again, I think it's September 12. I just want you to listen uh, to Kate's story. It was, I think, the second to last Alpha of the series. And I was feeling pretty apprehensive because the topic for that night was healing. And in light of that, we were supposed to spend the last part of that meeting in prayer for one another. I don't know about you Reformed folks, but I grew up Lutheran. And extemporaneous prayer for healing is not something that I'm at all comfortable with. So I was feeling pretty awkward when the other leader turned to me and said, hey Kate, how can we pray for you for healing? And I froze up. The one thought in my mind, the place that I desperately wanted healing, was one that I barely told anyone about, but that I had carried for six and a half years. When my first child was born, I found myself fighting postpartum depression and anxiety that never really went away. And I found ways to deal with it, um, thanks to my amazing husband and a really wonderful, supportive counselor. But I still felt so much shame and guilt, and I was still struggling. But at some point that evening, as each person in turn prayed for me, I had the strangest sensation, like a touch on the top of my head. And it was so light and so gentle that I immediately started to question if I'd actually felt anything. Because God doesn't really do that, right? Not here, not now. So as our time of prayer finished and our Zoom call wrapped up, I tried to rationalize that sensation, as well as the feeling of lightness that was filling me as some sort of byproduct of this wonderful kumbaya moment that we had just experienced and I fully expected that weight to settle back on my heart and my mind as soon as that high wore off. Except it never did. <laughs> I walked so cautiously through the days and weeks that followed so incredulously. Nothing was different. The circumstances of my life were as they had always been, but somehow everything changed. I finally got brave enough to admit it to myself and then slowly to a few other people and now I guess not so slowly to all of you. <laughs> but the weight was gone. It was just gone. 
as if that gentle touch had flipped some switch that was knocked out of alignment with the birth of my first child and wired into place over the years that followed. Just flipped it back. In that one half second, God did what six and a half years of striving on my part could not do. And when he did that, he gave me something else. He showed me that the faith I'd been taught was absolutely real. There's the, did you catch that line? In one half second, God did in me what I couldn't do by my own striving for six and a half years. Now, her story is her story. The details of her life and the circumstances of her day are the details of her life and her circumstances. It's not meant to suggest it has to be for you, but I am suggesting God wants to do something new in you, with us, for the world. It might just break in here. It might just break in now. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.